Father, we do ask that You would not only bless to our understanding this Your Holy Word, but Lord, that uh, You would bless it also to our will, that we might not be like the man who, uh, seeing it, immediately went out and forgot what he looked like. But Lord, he obeyed it. And so help us, Lord, um, with the eyes of faith to uh, obey this Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, as I was preparing uh, the last part of this sermon, uh, frankly, I was fully preparing to preach it to um, not only to you, but in my mind's eye, I saw Betty Martin uh, here uh, listening to this sermon and uh, was thinking about how difficult things must be for her. And then I got the phone call this morning. Um, But I also know that there are many of you here that are struggling under intense trials. Uh, Some may not be the worst you've ever gone through, but they are nonetheless very difficult. And uh, I have been wondering over the past couple of weeks, Lord, why in Your providence have You sent us uh, back-to-back sermons on suffering and on uh, trusting You in the midst of trial? Last week, in verses 4-7, through we saw how God took care of the poor widow when her debts had become so great that her creditors were knocking at her door, ready to take her children away into slavery. And this week, in this longer passage, we're seeing how God took care of a poor mother when death came knocking at her door and took her child. Last week we saw how we are to faithfully entrust ourselves to the Word of God in order to receive God's blessings um, that He has promised to His children. This week, we're going to see essentially the same thing. We're going to look a little bit more at how God uh, faithfully loves and carries and cares for His children while they are going through difficulties. There are two points we're going to look at this morning. First, children of God, you indeed will face great trials in your life. But then secondly, God will take care of you. So, this first point to jump right in. You will face trials. James 1, 2, chapter 1, verse 2, I think I quoted it last week, says, "...count it all joy." My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, it doesn't say if you fall or face trials, but when. And frankly, because of sickness, because of accidents, because of death, and of course because of sin, you can rest assured that you will face trials. Others are unexpected. And um, I'm sorry, uh, some trials are like a slow burn where you live with ongoing trials. And others are unexpected and happen without any warning. Some are relatively small and easy to overcome, while others 
seem larger than life itself. But rest assured, you will face trials. Notice also that James says in chapter or in this verse, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He's acknowledging that Christians face trials. Not people out of the church, not unbelievers. They face trials too. There's a very different purpose for for why they face trials than why Christians face trials. Certainly God is wanting to bring unbelievers to Himself through trials. The old saying is true. Sometimes you just can't look up until you're lying flat on your back. But that... um, that purpose being there, there's also a secondary purpose for unbelievers. And that is to give them a foretaste of what it means to be under the wrath of God. If you are here this morning and are an unbeliever, your future in eternity is to be under the wrath of God. The trials, the hardships that we face here in this life, If you are outside of Christ, that's just a harbinger of things to come. God is a holy, holy, holy God. He must punish sin. Otherwise, He would be unjust. The only reason any Christian can have hope is because Jesus Christ stood in our place. He was stretched out on that cross. He was crushed in our place. He suffered the punishment that we deserve to suffer. Therefore, God can be just in forgiving us because the penalty was paid not by us, but by Jesus Christ. So, non-Christians face trials, but also Christians face trials with a very different purpose. God sends trials into Christians' lives to make them more like Jesus. There is this error, this persistent error, that because God loves Christians, they will never face any hardship or real pain in their life. And that is such an immature view of the Christian life. The Bible teaches rather that God uses our pain and our hardships to help us grow as Christians. James 1 verses 3 and 4 says, You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So trials come into our lives. We are to persist in trusting God. We are to persevere under trials. Look to Him. And as we do, there's a maturity that happens in our life. I think this idea that Christians will never face any real pain or hardship really comes from the idea that God wants to make us happy as the chief goal for our life. God's God's goal for our life is not our happiness as His first goal, but rather our holiness. 
God is intent on making our character to be more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And God loves us so much and wants us to be conformed to the character of Christ so much that He is willing to send trials into our life to shape and form us in godliness. If your chief goal in the Christian life is to be happy and to be free from all hardship, then you will be very unsuccessful in your walk with Christ. In our text, we meet a rich woman and her husband, and they were living in the town of Shunem. Shunem was in northern Israel, just to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And this woman loved the Lord, and she loved God's prophets. She and her husband would host Elisha and his apprentice Gehazi when Elisha would pass through the area. Elisha must have passed through Shunem often because she built a room on her roof to let them stay when they were passing through. Elisha decided to return the favor and do something nice for her and her husband. And so he sent Gehazi to ask her to see what she, that he might be able to do for her. Uh, she frankly felt like she had no needs. And when Gehazi came back and reported this to Elisha, he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he determined how he might bless her. Look at verses 11 through 16. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there and he said to his servant, uh, to Gehazi his servant, call the Shunammite. When he had called her, he stood before, she stood before him and he said, and he said to him, say to her, see what you have taken. See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to a commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has a son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, he stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about the same time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, a man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son, and that about that time and the, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. The woman had never had any children. She had wealth, but what she wanted more than anything was a child. She did not ask for a child. I don't think she was expecting a child because her husband was quite old. But God, through Elisha, promised her a child. This was news that was almost too good to be true for this woman. And so she says to Elisha, don't lie to me. A few years passed and she indeed had the child. The child was growing up. He, like most children, wanted to be around his father, learn how his father earned his living, so he went out to the field. While he was out in the field, his head started to hurt really badly. Maybe it was sunstroke, we don't know. Uh, they carried him back to his mother. He sat on her lap until he died. And as you know, our practice here at Westminster is to work our way through books of the Bible rather than jumping from uh, passage to passage, from topic to topic. Um, so this passage was not chosen 
because it's Mother's Day. In fact, I think this might have been one of the last passages I would choose for Mother's Day. It's such a wretched picture before us. This distressed mother cradling her dead child in her lap. Those of us who are parents begin to mourn with this poor mother as she mourns for her child. But it's interesting to me that in her pain, she does not forget the Lord. The Lord had promised her a child. He had delivered. And even when this child died in her lap, she viewed this event with the eyes of faith. God gave her this child. Maybe He had more planned than she realized. She took the child up to her room, or rather to the room that she had added on for Elisha. She laid him on Elisha's bed and then she headed out to Mount Carmel, which is about ten miles directly to the east. I'm sorry, to the west. I'm fairly confident that this mother would not have sought out Elisha if her, died, if her child had died and the child had not been born under such uh, unusual circumstances. This child was born because God's promise to her. Um, so she believed that God was unwilling to let go of the promise even after the child had died. And I think there's a lesson here for us to learn that relates to last week's sermon. When God has promised us something, we had better not be quick to give up on it. In fact, God's promise should make us tenacious in our faith. It must make us persistent. We must be stout and strong-willed when it comes to believing God's promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all of God's promises find their yes in Christ. And because that is true, we must take Christ in one hand and God's promise in the other and hang on to both for dear life. We cannot be easily moved when God has given us a promise. I want to press this point home. In Matthew 11, Jesus was speaking of John the Baptist. And He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has, not risen, or there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, Jesus is not uh, advocating salvation by violence. Rather, Jesus is pointing out that our faith must be vigorous and uncompromising. John the Baptist had a vigorous and uncompromising faith. We have so many, so many temptations that are pulling us from the right and from the left, from all over. And these temptations want our attention. But only, what Jesus is saying in referring to John the Baptist, only people who have a faith that is forceful enough to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-upright and self-controlled and godly lives in this present life will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, one cannot sleep their way to heaven. 
we must exercise a vigorous faith that will not give up like the Israelites did at the end of Second Kings chapter 3. Remember the Israelites when the king of Moab offered his son on the wall? The violence grew great against the Israelites. They rall- the Moabites rallied around their king and the Israelites went home. Here's a woman who had her own, her only child, her child given later in life beyond when she thought she could have children. And this child died in her lap. That's adversity. That's suffering. But instead of giving up, instead of giving over to complaint and unbelief, she laid the child on Elisha's bed and went and sought out Elisha to find out what God might be doing. She had a tenacious faith. When you read Hebrews 11, you see a whole list of men and women who were violent, we might say, valiant in their faith. They were overcomers. They didn't quit short. They took hold of Christ. They took hold of God's promise and they would not let go. What is the quality of your faith? When we are going through through trials, we can know that God has promised to be with us. Furthermore, and by the way, non-Christians don't have that promise. But as Christians, we do. And He has promised to uphold us. He will not let us be overcome. I think verses like Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3 are very relevant in times of trials. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, you shall not, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Or Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know Your name put their trust in You, for You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Surely there are times where we have not trusted in God. While we were passing through turbulent waters, And the waters have overcome us for a while. But in spite of that, God has never, ever let go of His children. He has never, ever forsaken us. All of God's plans are in accord with His infinite wisdom. He knows the beginning of your trial. He knows the end of it. He knows everything in the middle. He knows everything about your life because He has planned it to the smallest detail. And God desires our good and nothing but our good. He has a loving purpose for everything He allows to happen to us. And He is positively working on our behalf. He's not standing on the sidelines until we get in trouble. And the trouble that we get ourselves into is never beyond His ability 
to take care of us. Even when we get into trouble because of our lack of trust in God, He will still not let us go. I want to remind you as we begin to draw this sermon to a close. When you're going through difficult times, trust the Lord. Don't let go of Him. Persist in your trust. I want to remind you that trust is a choice that you have to make. You know Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The psalmist, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he remembers that God is with him. And he chooses to trust the Lord. It's hard when things are going not your way. It's hard when when your trials seem to be bigger than your ability to endure. It's hard when you're tempted to wallow in self-pity. Margaret Clarkson says, it is always it is initiated, talking about our trust, always it is initiated by an act of will on our part. We set ourselves to believe the over, overruling goodness, providence, and sovereignty of God and refuse to turn aside no matter what may come, no matter how we may feel. When trials come, when hardships come, It's easy to get into those turbulent waters and let them carry you along. Don't do it. Look to God. He is your rock in the middle of the storm. He is your anchor, Hebrews 6 tells us. Jesus Christ went behind the curtain, according to Hebrews 6, which is to say He died on the cross He rose gloriously from the dead. He is seated at the Father's right hand making intercession for you. Through Him, you are more than conquerors. You don't have to let the turbulent stream carry you away. We become prisoners to our feelings if we mistakenly think that we cannot trust God unless we feel like trusting Him, unless uh, we feel like things are going our way. You know, we... During times of adversity, things are never going our way. Choose to trust God. Your feelings will follow afterwards, even if the adversity persists. Trust God. God loves you. He is in control. Trust God. God gave His own Son for you. Therefore, you can know that He will take care of you. Trust God because He has a good purpose in every trial or tribulation that comes your way. And when you trust God, a sweet smile of of hope and love will follow every tear. And tribulation itself will be turned into the chief blessing, the chiefest of blessings, when you trust in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we look to You. Father, I could imagine 
that every mother in here, every father in here, every parent would pray, Lord, don't let us go through a trial like this woman went through. But Lord, I know that there are those here this morning who have gone through trials. Uh, Even this very bitter trial itself. God, help us to trust in You. Help us to always remember that You are with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That You are with us in the green pastures. That You are with us because Jesus Christ uh, has gloriously risen from the dead for us. Lord, I know that there are many precious souls going through trials and tribulations. Sustain them and help them in the midst of their trial to choose to trust in You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.